Good morning. This is Daniel Gershberg, and I am here with my good friend and real estate broker, Mark Schaefer from Clyer Residential. Say hi to the folks. Hello there. Um, so as we've been doing, we're putting together a podcast specifically on real estate in New York, and I've asked Mark to come on by and uh, talk shop a little bit um, about real estate in this area since it's so crazy. Um, I'm going to let Mark sort of take over in some respects, but again, the point of the podcast is to give you guys an idea of what's happening in New York, specifically in the real estate market, what you can expect, how much you can expect to pay, how many fights you'll likely have with your spouse over how much you're going to be expecting to pay, et cetera. So, um, Mark, tell me a little bit about, you know, yourself, when you got in the business, how you got in the business, if you like the business. I've been in real estate now four years. And I've run the gamut. I started just doing the old, very close to the old bait and switch rentals. So I quickly learned that market and That's learned awesome. that there's no, really no trust for brokers in that, unfortunately. Um, it always comes down to the best apartment and with no matter who's renting it to you. And um, during that time, I took a guarantor who had tons of cash and wanted to, to purchase a property. So I started taking her out and um, negotiated a deal with the Cliers, who are my bosses now. And um, they asked me to come and interview with them because they were impressed by the way I handled myself. So I did, and they asked me to join them two years ago, and here I am. How do you see rentals as being different from, from sales in terms of the marketplace, in terms of the people that you interact with? Are, they, are there different personalities that you deal with? Or? Uh, there are 100% different, different personalities. I, to get a really crappy $2,000 apartment in New York City, you have to be making $80,000. Right. And you're talking about one room, a kitchen, a bathroom, and that's it. And um, you know, people moving to New York City, they're only making $45,000 starting jobs. Right. M maybe, if they're lucky. And I think that um, New York City has become a playground of the wealthy, which is good for me and bad for people moving here. So. I think one of the things we can talk about today is where do just middle class average people, where are they going to go with this, you know, the, the race to the sky with the luxury con condominiums that are happening right now? Yeah, let's touch on that because every single article that I, that I read, and, and obviously, you know, I represent um, a lot of real estate uh, purchasers and a lot of first time home purchasers. You know, you read articles about the $70 million co-op that just sold or, you know, the, the, the condos on Leonard Street that are going for $30 million and $40 yeah. million dollars each and people are buying all cash. Where does everybody else go? I mean, I'm not, I'm not even talking about, you know, where does someone that's literally middle class or upper middle class or, or is buying for five hundred or $600,000, is there anywhere in New York for them to buy at this point? At this point in Manhattan, below 96th Street, $600,000 in a condo is a studio. Wow. And is it possible to get a $850,000 two-bedroom uh, elevator building on the Upper West Side? Yes. Um, so I would say it's out there if you want it, if you, if you care to find it in Manhattan. A lot of people are moving to Brooklyn, uh, Carroll Gardens, Red Hook is now being, those houses are being bought up by savvy New Yorkers, Astoria, anywhere that's close to the city. But with that said, I do find that on the luxury side of things that it's really become a bank for international clients and they're storing their cash here just in these $40 million apartments. And I know uh, a few developments that are smaller buildings are actually not allowing investors in. They only want people who will live there. 
because they don't want empty buildings. Right, like Miami, for instance, had that right. back in the day when there was a lot of people that were investing, and you you drive by at night and you'd see two lights, no lights on. on. Right, you'd see two <laughs> right. lights on in a in a building that's you know four hundred people, um, and I, I guess that's what they're looking to protect. So, essentially, in in Manhattan, you're not you know unless your budget is close to a million, you're you're likely not going to find anything. If I'm understanding correctly, on the condo end, right? On the condo end, right. that is that is fairly accurate. Okay. You can for you know, $950,000 now, right. find a one bedroom in the village, in a walk up building. And co-ops, I mean, how do co-ops differ from that? And, and I guess explain to, to the people out there, if you can, the, the sort of the differences in terms of a co-op and, and a condo for something like this. Um, so I know that one of your questions that you had had kind of let me know ahead of time is what's my preference between right. co-op and condo? Yeah, I, I do want to get to that, and it's I, huge. And I think that I can tie them both in together in one answer. So I own a co-op now. I'm young. I bought six years ago, actually in April of 2008. And... and right when the recession. Right, right yeah. before. Miles right before. Thought. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, going forward, I would rather buy a condo. Why? Personally. Why? Number one, it's real property. People my age or first-time home buyers want flexibility, and that's the biggest word. So if you're looking for flexibility, you want to go with condo. If you're looking at something that you're going to stay in for a long period of time, I'm talking 10 years and over, I would go for a co-op. Because these buildings are a lot more stringent upon who they let in, and that includes taking a very, very close look at your financials. And a lot of the buildings that really stayed the course financially during the, uh, the last real estate bubble were co-ops and that was because they had really carefully chosen who to allow into their building so they weren't having a lot of um, you know people walking away from their property because they couldn't afford it you have to put down I mean the the other important characteristic is that you have to put down um, 20 percentages typically at least at least right and there are co-ops that require 100% down 50% down Right. Um, 30% down. 30% is, is pretty across the board for co-ops in Manhattan. That's the new normal, essentially, 30%. Yes. Which means that someone, if they're looking to buy in Manhattan, so people will always talk about, you know, and, and tell me if this is right or not, that co-ops appear cheaper in terms of, of uh, the amount that you're purchasing for than condos are, but you have to keep in mind the fact that if you're, if you're looking to buy a co-op, you got to come up with a lot more cash, typically. Um, from day one, then you do a condo where you can come in and essentially, you know, get an FHA mortgage at ninety six percent of the amount uh, of the purchase price. Yes, you finance. Um, I've actually heard, and I haven't fact checked myself yet, that um, with the FHA loans now, you have the PMI for the life of the loan. And I don't know if that's true or not, but right. I've heard that, and I, I think that it's something you should really very closely look at if you want to do an FHA loan. Right. I always recommend my first-time buyers that they always try to put down 20%. And if they don't have that, then keep saving until they can put that down. Because you, 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 there's something to be said for having equity in the property itself from, from day one or because you, you put yourself in the budget specifically. In other words, all right, I have 20% down in cash. I'm going to buy this thing responsibly as opposed to I have a couple thousand dollars in the bank and I heard that real estate's really going up. Right. I think that you wouldn't be able to afford that property eventually. You would be house poor. Right, right. Which, which nobody wants what? to be house. Nobody wants, no one to, be wants to sit in their beautiful apartment, eating ramen noodles. No, so. no, no, not at all. And and I agree with that. And I think a lot of people should have taken that advice in in 08 
um, realistic or before 08. And that's, you know. Well, hindsight is a beautiful thing. Hindsight is an absolutely gorgeous thing. Um, so, I mean, it, so in your opinion, you like condos more in, in, in the situation of, if you had to do it again, let's say, you would do a condo. Just real property. But I think that it depends on your budget. I think it depends. Right. I The number one uh, aspect of, that people consider in New York City is location. Right. So it depends on your lifestyle, what you're doing, what your children are doing, uh, where you need to be right. for work, what your work day's like. There's lots of, lots of, everyone's different and that it's case by case. Who's your typical first time buyer, if you have one? So I'm a young guy myself, so right. my, my typical first-time home buyer is a 30-something young either dating or young married couple um, or young families I've done as well okay and what are their typical budgets I mean I know they, they may go across the board but is there something that you find in the, in the medium what are the, what do they think that they're gonna pay um, for example a young lawyer making a great salary right now was just looking for trying striving to find a, a, a one-bedroom condo for 650 in New in New York City, in New York City, in Manhattan, in Manhattan. Okay, and you're looking at one or two properties that would come on the market a week. Usually, they were converted studios that had a window that they threw up a wall somehow, wow. uh, which brings up a whole another bunch of issues for me. Is that whether that was done through the Department of Buildings, if that's a legal wall, all different kinds of things. Are you seeing that a lot in terms of people converting converted studios? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people did it without getting um, New York City DOB approval, and it's that's a very dangerous thing. So, just to switch gears, just for just for a moment, um, everyone is talking about how hot the market is. <laughs> Everyone's screaming about how hot the market is. Yes. Every real estate article, every article everywhere is uh, is talking about home prices just going through the roof. How hot is the market? It's hot. It is. It is very hot in New York City, and bidding wars co-ops, condos. I do find that the market, now that summer's hit New York City, a lot of the native New Yorkers are not in the city. They're in the Hamptons or upstate or the Catskills or what have you. But, um, you know, some properties are sitting, great properties are sitting for some reason with no traffic and then other properties, the first week they're on the market, go into a bidding war and by 10 days on the market, they've gone above and beyond the asking price. Um, I find that there's two tactics right now for listing an apartment on the seller side. You price low, get as much traffic as you can, attract a bidding war, and get above what you thought you could get, or price at the the number that you think is the fair market value, and see what happens. And most most sellers want to do the second. Why? Because they're afraid that they're gonna that that lower number. People only want to go lower from that number. Right. Um, so on a typical property, and this is something my clients, so my clients come to me after, obviously, they, they've met with you and you found them a place and, right. and they put an offer and the offer's been accepted. You know, there, there's still that period of time from the time that they contact me to the time the contract's actually signed where they can get higher offers. The sellers of the properties can get higher offers. So you, you discuss the, the sort of bidding war. Is it that essentially almost every single property that you're showing now, I mean, there's, what I hear is that there's multiple offers for each property. So you show something on, I don't know, West 9th somewhere, and by the time you're back in the office, there's already been three or four or five offers, or even during an open house. I mean, how, I guess, truthful is that? Um, how, how much do you see that? 
unfortunately there are a lot of dishonest people who do right. what I do right. and it's it's hard to tell if they are telling the truth or if they're just creating a false frenzy right um, so when when we when I have won a bidding war with clients and sometimes we don't win and it's because they're financing and cash buyers are king right now in this market um, I encourage them to sign the contract as quickly as possible, as long as they're still doing all of the due diligence that the lawyer yourself yes. has to do. Yes. And um, the, the thing that's hard is that every building is different and every apartment is different. So you, a lot of people are bidding on more than one property. Um, let's say you have a cash buyer and you, you might actually be bidding on two of the same properties and they might win both of those. And they'll keep stringing along both of these apartments. And it, and so deals fall apart all the time in this market as well. So it's important to always have your A game on and and be ready to take a contract and get it signed as quickly as possible. You know, what's interesting is you, you brought up um, the due diligence aspect of it. And prior to 2008, well, I should say around 2008, people would stop um, really caring about the mortgage contingency clause or mortgage commitment. And, and for people out there that are listening, essentially in a typical deal, if someone's getting financing, right? Let's say it's not an all cash deal. Let's say someone's getting financing. They have the ability to say, look, if I don't get a mortgage for X number of dollars, I can back out of this deal right now uh, and get my money back if the lender says, no, your financials aren't good enough. But what we're seeing, and, and to your point in terms of cash is king, is that even if someone comes in with financing and says, look, you know, I really want this deal, a particular seller or even the seller's attorney will say, that's great, Danny. You know, we'd love to have your, your purchasers, but just so you understand, there's no financing contingency whatsoever um, so that they can get, if they want to try and get a mortgage, that's totally fine. But they, you know, they're not, the sellers They still can, have to yeah, close or lose their 10%. They lose the 10%. And the first time that, that I saw this, I, I said, you gotta be kidding me, this is crazy. And in the past, I'd say six months or so, um, maybe a year, you're seeing this so much more. And, and it's not only for the apartments that are a million plus, you're seeing it on 700,000, 800,000, $900,000 yes. deals where sellers are saying, look, you know, that's great. Um, if you want to come in with, with Wells Fargo, that's, that's excellent, but uh, I'm not going to condition the, the sale of this place uh, and leave a cash offer on the table you know, if your credit falls for any reason whatsoever. So if you want it, that's fine, but the $70,000 you put down as a, as a deposit could very well be gone. Um, I don't know if you, are you seeing this a lot more in the market or sellers, brokers yes. telling the same uh, thing? It's, it's mostly with condos. Yep. Um, and, yep. and it's, um, if you don't do it, you, you run the you risk lose. of losing the property. You lose. Um, so there are certain things. I always have this conversation, especially with first time home buyers who aren't really aware of what this non-contingent to financing aspect in the real estate contract would mean. Right. And I really only strongly recommend it for them if they have finances behind them, whether it be family money or investment money of their own. Um, because if you if you can't get a loan, you're either going to have to put more money down so someone will lend to you, or you're going to lose your 10%. Right. And it's, it's extremely risky. And most lawyers say, what are you doing? Don't do this. Correct. But you right. have to do it to uh, secure... Other options you could try um, is actually putting down more earnest money to win a bid, but also risky. Then you risk the, that much more earnest money. Correct. 
what what aspect or what part of your job is is emotional? And I, I say that you know coming from the other side where everyone is screaming at me to get the contract out or to do the due diligence because everyone's raring to go. You know, it's a shiny new toy and, and they want it really really bad. So if you if you tell them that, so if you say, look, here's the deal. If you go forward on this, there's no contingency really, so you can lose your down payment. Do you see that glaze in their eye that kind of says, I don't care, I need this, I need this, or do you see a, a a logical, rational approach to it? Um, I would say that every deal has its own can of worms, and there's no there's no way to foresee what that can of worms will be. Every single deal has its has its issue, and um, mistakes are made all along the way from whether it be the buyer or the seller or the seller's lawyer or the buyer's lawyer. Things can go wrong, and there's no way to foresee what that will be for your situation. So, um, and and for me, every every deal, I learn something new, and just taking what, being able to adapt and learn from what happens, and and just actually pay attention to what's happening in the market, I think is really important, and not a lot of people do it actually, which is part of what makes me a good broker is understanding of what's going on and how to deal with it. How do you, that, that's, that's a good point. I want to touch upon that. And it's, it's not like a sales pitch in any way. And obviously no. we're, we work together, but how do you yeah. differentiate yourself? Because I've seen a ton of brokers, they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. And I'm, I'm happy to say that out loud. And I say that to, to a lot of people. And it, it messes up um, not only the client, but really the industry as a whole, because you can't, you know, once you've been burned three or four times by someone, it's tough to get back on track. So how do you distinguish yourself from what's out there? What, what is it that you do? Because there's so many brokers out there. Uh, again, the market's so crazy right now. What, what is it that you do that's different? I think for me, it's just customer service. And I'm originally from Nebraska, so I have that ability to chat about any topic under the sun. And so you're not just, you become, you become these, their friends. When you work with buyers for long enough, you know about their lives, you know about their dog, you know what kind of food they like because you've gotten coffee and food. And so I think that just just being a good person, genu- genu- genuinely, 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 both, both generally and genuinely. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and customer service comes down to, I think you also have to be very proficient with technology now. Yeah, I think that's huge as well. And just, just to piggyback on that, because you, you brought up a point to me, I was um, I was looking at a place to, to move into a rental um, because I, I wish I earned the big bucks to, to buy, but um, the a rental, and I went to the essentially the the broker's office, the management office slash broker's office in Brooklyn, and they had called my girlfriend and, and previously and they said, look, there's two bedrooms available, you know, we'd love for you to see it, and we went there and we showed up promptly on time, and the woman when we walked in, we had met with her several times before had sort of this, this weird look on her face and she had no idea who we were. And so she said, I'm sorry, who are you? Are you the Smiths or something along those lines? I was like, no, we're not the Smiths. Do I even look like a Smith? So I, um, I said, you know, we're here to see this apartment. This is who we are. And she goes, oh, that was, that was rented yesterday. And it's just this sort of disconnect. And I think that, that, that goes to what you say in terms of becoming friends with someone. And it's the same in law to a certain extent as well is that you know, in business, you find that too many times people are disconnected from their task and actually building a relationship with somebody um, in a field where perhaps the person is making the most important financial decision of their lives. Right. And so when you walk certainly into Certainly the largest. Yeah, certainly the largest, right? 
and so much is riding on it and you walk into a place and they have no idea what your name is or you know you're a real estate broker that says well you know either you put all this money down now or you're not going to find anything yeah. and you scare the living bejesus out of somebody I, I think that's that's the wrong approach to take versus someone that can actually be friendly with someone and, and genuinely interested in them that builds an organic trust which I think is, is huge in, in a marketplace like this so um, the yeah, Nebraska thing that- yeah well, I think that everyone also has their own story about real yeah. estate in New York City. About, everyone. About that crazy broker. Yeah. Um, you know, as the market gets hotter and hotter and hotter, more people who lose their jobs or work at McDonald's or anything, any scenario you can imagine, they're broker like, by I, night. I could be a broker. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to do this. It seems really easy. Yeah. And um, it's actually one of the biggest jobs that people start and then they quit. <laughs> like yes. one weekend. Yeah. Right in. So it's... it's it is actually more difficult than it seems, and um, I like to build a loyal client base. I keep track of my clients, any rentals, I keep track of them, I call them, you know, how's it going, any problems with the apartment. I think just that kind of follow through and follow up is, is really important, and I'm in this for the long haul, and I think that building building clients in New York City is, is great. I think that it's something everyone talks about, and it's always exciting. So, uh, talking about the long haul, actually, what uh, I'm interested to get your take on on the market itself and whether yeah. or not, and, and neither of us are economists, certainly, but no. you know, you see it firsthand. So, do you think this is a bubble? You think that we're going to face something? I mean, how how much higher can this go? Because people are just losing their ever loving minds. I mean, you know, we just came out of a, a recession that started in 2008, and came sprinting out of it. So, is there another bubble? Yes, there will always be another bubble. There's no crystal ball to say when or how far away from that we are now. But like I said, people are, foreigners are pouring cash into Manhattan, prime neighborhoods, and these condos are a race to the sky, and that's that's great. I mean, we're happy to park their money in the U.S. economy for sure, but um, what will the repercussions be in the future, I think, is an important question, and there's no way to know. Is, the, is my answer. Those guys that are that are that are buying for ten million, twenty million, thirty million are, are great. But what what areas, uh, I guess, of value do you see? Even if it's outside Manhattan, even if it's in Brooklyn, where do you get the most for your money right now? So the New York Times just featured an article two weeks ago saying how Midtown East is under you know price per square foot, far under condo and co op, um, which is very true. And you have water views, just the same as the West Side. Uh, I think they're also working on reconnecting the entire east side with a with a bike path and you know running outdoor activity, sure. which in New York City is so important. Huge, huge. Um, so I see huge value in that neighborhood. Also, Hell's Kitchen is being crazy developed right now. Because of Hudson Yards, or is that well, Hudson Yards yeah. is solely changing the whole landscape of. I mean, the the West Thirties used to be so desolate, and now things popping up all over the place sure really sure. great really great things and for example how much has the High Line cha- uh, changed West Chelsea tremendously because tremendously. my girlfriend constantly drags me there all the time and I would have <laughs> never gone to that area and now I walk amongst the, the flowers all the tourists and every the flowers every single tourist it's, it's really it's getting, nice it's getting really busy up there with, with the tourists every single time like Times Square up there just like here by Wall Street it's, it's really awesome that I can see the same tourists uh, in the morning everywhere you go in the evening it's the same guy it's the same Giuseppe from Italy that's come in um, but yeah I think there's a lot of value in Midtown East um, I, I do think that 
um, other neighborhoods that are up and coming, certainly Astoria is on that list for me. Um, in Manhattan itself, Central Harlem is on fire with these brownstones. Um, same thing with bidding wars and people wanting to take on these crazy renovation projects. What's the what was that movie in the eighties? The Money Pit or what the where they they buy a house that essentially falls apart. I have no idea. I have no. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. But I can I can uh, point you to many people that I know that have tried the same thing and that it's it's falling apart. It's, they they it's love tough. dotting them. It's they, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, a huge and certainly project. then in Brooklyn, Bed Stuy is a neighborhood that is pushing um, into a lot of home renovation projects with these gorgeous 1800 1880s brownstones. Rest in peace, Biggie Smalls. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Um, but Manhattan, I think the biggest neighborhood right now would be Midtown East, Central Harlem. Everything else is expensive. Yeah, beyond expensive. Really okay. expensive. Uh, one, Actually, one, one more neighborhood. Oh, what do you got? Um, it would be the Broadway Corridor from City Hall to Chambers. That's what they're calling it, the Broadway Corridor? Well, yeah. Because some people are calling really it Tribeca. It still is. I mean, on the, on the west side of the street, it's Tribeca. Right. And then the east side, they're just yeah. And there's it's there's a ton of like new Soho, but it's like a lost neighborhood. Kind yes, of. it's completely. <laughs> so, I, I can I can speak to that. So I think that there's about twelve projects in the works right now in in maybe a six seven block radius. Um, I would let me also add in my non broker's opinion that South Street Seaport I think will be a really large. And I I've, since we've known each other, I keep yeah, we actually have this conversation. I just did over a, and over. I just did a someone bought a new development condo there, yeah. and there's so much planned there. It's an amazing, amazing area. Um, they're going to have a, a, a open food market there, hopefully, and, and just the historical aspect is amazing. So, uh, if I had the money, I would, I would love to uh, own something there. Um, last sort of question for you, and, and it's it's a bit of a loaded question, but should everyone buy if they have the chance? So everyone always, the New York Times always has these ridiculous calculators, you know, that that discuss renting versus buying. You're always reading renting versus buying and the tax advantages. Should everyone buy? Because the venture capitalist in me says yes, buy right. through me. Yeah. And, but the but the reality of that question is is no. Thank you, thank you for saying that. Right, because it's some people just shouldn't. You know, you go on Trulia uh, on on the message boards, and and someone will say, I, I'm unemployed and I have about hundred fifty dollars left, but I really saw this awesome place and I really want to put some money down. And you know, forty brokers are right. You absolutely need to do it. Property values are going through the roof right now. Um, but it's sobering and, and nice to actually hear someone say no. So who shouldn't buy versus who should buy? Certainly someone who's unemployed. Yes, that is, <laughs> that is the number my one. first example. Yes. Someone who is um, knows that they could be transferred mm -hmm. or that their job is in flux or their company's changing or about to be overtaken. Uh, I mean, a lot of people know. So job uncertainty, I would say, is, is, the, is another. Okay. Um, that ties into unemployment. What about someone who's so someone who doesn't isn't looking to stay for ten years? So someone wants to stay for three years, but they really think they're going to make a lot of money from from the actual resale. Do you know it's hard because um, the benefits of owning are great. Tax incentives are are wonderful. Um, you actually can make changes in your apartment and feel good that you're actually putting money right into an investment, right? Which is true, right? Um, actually, at, on the same token, I'm never surprised at some of the crazy things people do in their apartments that take away value, but that's another... That's a personality-based conversation yeah. for another It's a totally day. different podcast. Um, it's just, some people don't... 
they, they choose their lifestyle over their over actually putting money into an apartment and it's expensive to maintain an apartment in sure. New York City sure. and I think that um, someone who's more into their lifestyle than than actually home ownership I think shouldn't purchase either okay. I mean it's so easy to just pour money into a nightlife or to you know, I know it taking trips whitewater rafting in Pennsylvania or whatever anything you want to do in New York City it's possible but it's expensive to do right and um, we certainly don't want to see a lot of foreclosures or short sales or people not being able to afford their homes based on it right absolutely how do people find you where do they email you where do they call you if they want more tips if they want to speak to you if they want you to find them a place in Bed-Stuy um, so I'm on clyers.com okay k-l-e-i-e-r-s.com okay. Um, my company also has a TV show called Selling New York Plug it. on HGTV. When is that on? It's uh, Currently, they're not airing new episodes because it's the summer. Okay, got it. Um, but they should be starting in the fall, perhaps again. If you met uh, the, the millionaires from Bravo, the real estate show, um, would there be a fist fight? Would you guys be okay if you saw each other in the street? <laughs> no, there, there certainly be wouldn't be wouldn't be a fist fight. I mean, they're they're doing great. Those guys are are killing it. You know, Frederick Eklund is is doing amazing with these new developments he's listing every sure. other week. So, it certainly is built in marketing, and I think that there's something very smart about it, regardless of how drama based it may be. It's it's an amazing show that my girlfriend and, and secretly I I watch all the time. So well, you get just, sucked into it. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Once the marathon comes on, that, that's enough. That's that's enough of that. Um, anyway, I want to thank Mark Schaefer for coming by today. Thank you all for listening, and uh, you know where to find me if you have any questions whatsoever, and Mark as well. Thank you again, guys.